Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Hello and welcome once again, wherever you are in our great country or around the world. Uh, as advertised, this is Judge Jim Gray on the Voice America Variety Channel with you on this show. And, and I'm pleased to say that we have wonderful guests, articulate, sophisticated, interesting guests, and we, we certainly culminated today because we have my former running mate, actually I was his, Governor Gary Johnson of New Mexico, and what a success story this man is. He's become a friend. He's truly a competitor. I tell you, you don't want to try skiing with him or involving a bicycle race, what he's done it uh, from Canada down to Mexico. We'll talk about that too, Governor. But this man is just, he really sees opportunities. He grabs them. He works hard at them, and he's successful. Uh, he started his own uh, construction prog uh, company, as I understand it, out of his garage and uh, turned it into the largest construction company in New Mexico and then decided, look, I'm going to run for, for governor in New Mexico, never run for office before and ended up winning. Uh, why not? Because he t if he has one valued trait that I believe is, is probably a, a problem in politics, he tells the truth. He tells the truth like he sees it. And the first time I heard of him, I had been involved with the drug against our drug policy, as you know, actually since the year 1992. In the late 1990s, I candidly had never heard of Governor Gary Johnson before. I opened up my newspaper, headlines, headlines. The governor of New Mexico says our nation's policy of drug prohibition is not working. We have to put our heads together and change it. So, wow, where did that come from? And pretty soon he had a drug policy forum in Albuquerque. I was invited. First time I met him was on the dais and, and we shook hands and uh, he, he just gave, gave in to that. And, and I asked him why he did that. And as I understand it, and maybe he can correct me, that uh, when he took office as governor, first of all, he had office hours. He'd allow people to come in on a scheduled basis off the street, talk to him, bring up problems. He would address them. But he asked his staff, as I understand it, saying, what are the main problems that the state of New Mexico is facing? And number one was something, and number two was something. And by the time he got down to like number four or five, they said, well, look, our nation's drug policy uh, is just not working. So he took it upon himself to address it. So this is the type man that I am proud to have my name associated with pretty much for the rest of time, because in 2012, he was the libertarian candidate for president. He asked me to be his running mate as the candidate for vice president. So I'm proud to say that at least in that small way, my name will be linked to that of Governor Gary Johnson. So with that, Gary, Governor, welcome to All Rise. And uh, I mentioned a little bit about your background in the introduction, but please feel free to kind of fill in some blanks. Let us get to know you a little bit better. <laughs> I should just I should just stop right now. That's very nice comments, wonderful comments. Uh, we are taping here. Uh, I, I realize this is going to be listened to on December 4th, but uh, we're taping this November 7th. So we're right at the point where I believe CBS, NBC News has projected uh, 
uh, Biden as the winner. So we're really in the midst of uh, um, interesting moments uh, as we speak. And that includes the fact that President Trump doesn't seem to be uh, in any mood to be gracious about this or honorable and uh, is saying that it will be court challenged the whole way. But, Jim, a couple of things. Uh, you know, I, I, I am a stickler for the truth. <laughs> so uh, Jim said I was, was the largest construction company in New Mexico. It's the, actually the largest construction employer in the state of New Mexico with, uh, with over 1,000 employees. Man. And then regarding uh, drug policy, yeah, Jim and I met at a drug policy conference, national drug policy conference that was held in Albuquerque because of uh, my then uh, new stance on legalizing marijuana. Uh, but where I came to uh, on the issue of drug reform was, was uh, as governor, I found out that half of what we spend on law enforcement, the courts and the prisons is drug related. And what are we getting for that? And today with Black Lives Matter, Look, uh, you know, everybody points out that blacks are arrested so much uh, more often than whites. Well, if you just take drug policy in and of itself, look, you're white, you get pulled over, the car smells of marijuana, um, you know, you're, you're very polite to the officer, the officer points out that uh, you have marijuana in the car, the car smells like marijuana, you're very, very remorseful, and depending on his mood, um, if you're white, uh, there's a four times more likelihood um, that you'll get off as opposed to being of color. So a lot of issues to talk about and uh, exciting times at the moment, uh, given the election, exciting times at the moment, given the, given the libertarian showing in the election, you know, over 1%, the spoiler in what has to be eight states. Uh, Jim and I never accomplished uh, being a spoiler in any state. And when I talk about spoiler, I'm talking about taking all the votes that you have and giving it to either one of the other candidates. And in the election just, just days ago, um, the libertarian vote was arguably the spoiler in about eight races. Wow. I'll, I'll stop there, Jim. Well, Aren't you I, amazed at the, at the showing? And this is what the Libertarian Party needed in a really big way, is to be labeled spoiler. Great. What do what libertarians stand for? I just think it's going to open up a lot of discussion uh, across the country. We we are going in the wrong direction for so many reasons, I think, Gary, with regard to our liberties, with regard to fear, which the Republicans and Democrats just trade on, that they try to get the voters scared, so vote for me and I'm going to employ this, that, or the other thing. Libertarians believe in liberty. And uh, I, I think to some degree, yes, we're spoilers and hooray for that, but I think we bring out voters that otherwise would pretty much stay home, too. And I think that that kind of goes into it as well. But I think Dr. Joe Jorgensen did a really fine job. And uh, we just had last week on our show, uh, Seth, I guess it would be next week, uh, Seth Levy, who is her special projects manager. But we need to get the word out more. And I, I kick us around a little bit because we should work harder showing people what libertarians are and our message is. No, I think it should be up to everybody that our audience now get out, look into libertarians, look into what Governor Gary Johnson did. You know, look at he analyzed it as a businessman, 
not in emotion, not to try to coy for votes, because it was not a popular thing to do under any circumstances back at, well, as governor of New Mexico in, what, 1998, something like that. But he looked at it. He saw, what, did you hear what this man just said? About half of the money we spend on law enforcement with regard to the court process and criminal issues, with regard to prisons, comes as a direct result of the failure of drug prohibition. And then he talks about the something we are not, or at least we should not be, discriminating against folks with regard to marijuana arrests or whatever because of the color of their skin. That's the type of man this man is. So, Gary, I'm just, as I said before, I'm proud to have my name in some way at least attached to you forever. You're hooked with me and you can't do anything about it at this point. But uh, how how did it come about that you ran for governor of New Mexico? Uh, what what caused you to do that other than this inner drive that you wanted to make things better? But, but uh, tell us about that drive and how you put things together and how you were eventually successful uh, with Ron Nielsen as your manager. But uh, tell, tell us a little bit about that story. It's interesting. Well, you, you point out something that I also recognize. We are inextricably linked, Jim Gray, for the rest of our lives. So it's a two-way street, meaning I am I am really appreciative of me being able to be associated with your name. I think you are one of as honorable a person as I have ever met. And, um, you know, that you. that never changes. But for me, starting out in politics, uh, I've, I've always thought that politics was a high calling. And, uh, you know, the, the chance to be in a position to make a difference in people's lives, believing that you would make a positive difference in people's lives. Uh, I came to an early epiphany when it came to politics, and that is, is that, first of all, uh, politics is about money, first and foremost. Uh, it isn't that you have to have more money than your opponent, but you have to have enough money to achieve a certain parity. And in my particular case, when I ran for governor, um, I paid my primary, this is going to sound like a paltry amount listening to it, but my primary in New Mexico running as a Republican, and I'd never even pounded in a campaign sign before running for governor, Mm -hmm. uh, but my primary cost about $540,000, and 510 of it was mine, with 30 literally coming in the door at the very end because it appeared as though um, I was going to win. Uh, but sure. I did win. Uh, New Mexico at that time was two-to-one Democrat, and uh, I just think that, uh, that it was bringing a common-sense business approach to state government. Look, don't... I'm going to spend the state's taxpayer dollars as they are mine, and they are. Uh, and so I was a penny-pinching, uh, balance the budget, don't overspend, um, fiscal conservative uh, to the max. And uh, I think I exhibited um, social awareness and the fact that, uh, look, the system needs to be fair. Uh, to everyone, and from the standpoint of allowing people always to make their own decisions first and foremost, as long as those decisions don't put other people in harm's way, um, that's what freedom, that's what liberty is all about. So, you know, when I when I uh, was deciding to run for governor, uh, I was wondering which political party I would actually line up as. Because really, we're all independent, and um, 
uh, and the problem with running for office is, is that we're not Republican to the core. We're not Democrat to the core. Um, we're really, we're independent. Uh, and then I found myself really recognizing that I was a libertarian, uh, but in my estimation, I was not going to win the governorship in New Mexico running as a libertarian. I thought I had a possible shot uh, running as a Republican. And uh, uh, I guess I, you could say I was a closet libertarian. And uh, uh, after having served and becoming more and more involved in politics, uh, there's really nothing in the libertarian platform that I disagree with. I think that you can't get from, I'm pragmatic, you can't get from A to Z, uh, but maybe you can get from A to D. And I, you know what, A to D, that's, that's an improvement. So being in office, it was always about measuring, uh, measuring what we were doing against uh, what we hoped the outcome would be and always just trying to eke forward all the time. Well, it's an incremental thing. You're not going to have very many revolutions in this world. Uh, you can be revolution, and we heard numbers of libertarians say, oh, I'm going to abolish the IRS or whatever. No, you're not. You know, you can do it incrementally. But was my you heard my story about you, which I believe in my introduction, uh, where you took office, uh, you did hold hours, office hours for just Joe Q citizen coming in and, and talking about their various issues. Uh, but you also, as I understand it, talk to your staff, your cabinet saying, what is the big issue facing Mexico, New Mexico? And what was the number two and number three? Is that accurate? And uh, if so, what were the first issues and how far down the list was it before you got to drug policy? No, it wasn't. I, it wasn't. To, you know, I held weekly cabinet meetings, and the idea was for every. The idea was was that the entire cabinet was going to be a spokes spokespersons uh, for my administration. So one of the first instructions that I gave, and I actually, I don't want to call it an instruction, but you and I had the same conversation, and that was, look, cabinet, uh, look, Jim Gray. Uh, you can disagree with with anything and everything that I have to say, and you can do that in front of the media, uh, but I just want you to make sure that whoever you're talking to knows where my position is on those issues. Uh, and that served me really well. So cabinet meetings weren't so much about where should we go. I think we had a pr all all had a pretty good sense of that from the standpoint of improvement. So having a cabinet meeting weekly, having every cabinet member give a short two-minute, here's what I'm doing, uh, I just thought gave us a team that could communicate really well what, in fact, we were doing. And hear ye, hear ye, folks, that's exactly what he told me. As we were about to launch into this campaign for president and vice president, he said, Jim, if you disagree with me, feel free to say so publicly. And I thought to myself, my goodness, I'll bet you that Barack Obama did not say that to Biden or uh, was it uh, Romney didn't say that to uh, uh, my goodness, I can't, who was it? That's right. And we know, we know for certain Trump didn't say that. <laughs> I, believe, I believe that's the case. You know, and, and, but, but that's what he said. And he said, by the way, also, be sure you're right if you do this and make sure that my position is known. But that's the type of person he is. Let me give you a... a anecdote, Gary. I was being interviewed yesterday by a 
someone in the media and it was on the phone and she said she kept calling Biden bidden. And then she said, I'm forbidden. And I thought, why? that's really quite a play on words. Forbidden indeed. But I thought that was really kind of kind of clever. Uh, but it was for Biden isn't quite the same thing as forbidden. But I guess that he's going to be president bidden pretty soon. But uh, you, you did that. Uh, how how was it that you were able to come out of the out of a non-political situation, I even wrote this down, you never pounded a campaign sign in before you ran for governor, but uh, what did you do to get your message out? Certainly money helps, but you have to have the message as well. Did you run as a businessman? Did you run uh, in effect for being financially responsible? My goodness, back in the 1990s, uh, what, a, what an idea. Uh, I wish you'd be running now. Uh, and I'm going to get on you, Gary. Uh, one of the dissatisfactions I have with you is you didn't run for Senate and I, uh, or at least uh, I, I wish you would and run again. But how did you, how did you put together a winning campaign out of the box for governor of New Mexico? Well, you, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, Ron Nielsen did a terrific job. Kelly Ward, who, who was my campaign manager, who had never been involved in politics also, uh, you know, we, we did have a unique combination, and uh, at the time, uh, drawing, the, drawing the people that we were drawing to events, I just thought were the norm, and it turned out that um, actually there was an attraction for something new and different, and I guess new and different really was uh, uh, me as someone who was a business person, uh, an athlete, uh, family man and uh you know the notion of uh let's let's enforce the laws that we have and change laws that are unjust uh and let's just uh, approach everything from a common sense uh, business approach and it's sold how did you do with the native americans uh in new mexico uh did you did you approach them as well, both in your race as well as after you became governor? Uh, what was your relations with the tribes? Well, interestingly, that was uh, really at the, the forefront of Indian gaming. And, uh, of course, there was the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act that the U.S. Congress passed. And so all the tribes and pueblos in New Mexico had uh, gaming going on. Um, uh, they had gaming going on in, uh, you know, temporary uh, facilities, tents, and what have you. And one of the issues was was uh, my, the incumbent, Bruce King, he was against uh, codifying the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act in New Mexico. And right off the bat, I was asked, well, what are you going to do? And it... Indian Gaming Regulatory Act passed by Congress, not implemented sure. by the state of New Mexico. It was the state's duty to, in fact, implement that. So I said right off the bat that, hey, I am going to come to an agreement on Indian gaming. It's going on in the state of New Mexico. It, it's, uh, it needs to be made right as per the federal law. And um, so I had a good relationship with the tribes. Uh, coming out in support of that uh, right off the bat, as as well, and they are they're independent nations, and they had every right to to do that, uh, and and they're still doing quite well at it. So after the elections, uh, you ran again, of course, with Governor Weld in 2016, did remarkably well, uh, and remarkably weld also, I suppose. But uh, then you became the uh, uh, 
chairman of the board of directors of something called Cannabis Sativa Incorporated. And I was on the board as well. I actually took over from you when you uh, resigned to run for president in uh, 2016. But what do you think about today, Governor Gary Johnson, is the status of commercial marijuana being sold in the United States? Do, Do you see this CARE Act now passing, I hope, in Washington to get the federal government out of this stuff and let each individual state do it. Where, where do you see this going? Well, the, one of the exciting things about having a Biden, uh, having Biden elected is that he has pledged to deschedule marijuana as a class one narcotic. And he has said that he's going to do that right away. First thing, that's what he, that's what he said. Well, if he does that, and it will, in fact, resolve the banking issues, five new states have added uh, legal marijuana during this uh, election. And so I really think that the, the state of the marijuana business is just straight up now. And I think that, uh, that Biden will go further uh, in codifying uh, legal marijuana from a federal standpoint, leaving it completely to the states and not getting involved from a banking standpoint. The fact that marijuana is a class one narcotic, same as heroin, uh, nobody, nobody's getting involved in it. The, the research that should be accompanying marijuana is not taking place because you can't you can deal with a class one narcotic, but boy, you've got to jump, jump through some hoops. So I'm really believing that the marijuana stocks, publicly traded marijuana stocks, quadruple uh, as a result of Biden and what he has promised uh, to do. So really, really bright, bright future. Well, the, the federal government has just made a thorough mess of this entire system. First of all, it's the concept of federalism, which means get the federal government out of these things and allow each state to, to make its own decision. But also... But the passage of the so-called Marijuana Tax Act back in the, what, 1937, they prohibited research into cannabis, you know, the CBD oil into, you know, I, I buy hemp seed granola, by the way, which is ostensibly prohibited by federal law, but uh, it's just really stupid. You have thoughts with regard to the, the medical properties of marijuana? I know that's not in your field, but I've certainly had some anecdotal information, and I think the federal government's committed a crime against us all by not allowing this research for the last number of decades. What are your thoughts? Oh, I, I would echo that completely. I think if the marijuana plant were discovered today uh, in uh, in the Amazon jungle, um, I think that it would be touted as maybe mankind's uh, greatest discovery. You said uh, anecdotally that uh, you know you you heard stories. We all have. Uh, I remember having um, dinner with a researcher in Washington State in Seattle. And he basically, CBD, you know, the, 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 there are 85 cannabinoids in the marijuana plant. CBD is the oil. So that's, that's the biggest substance in the marijuana uh, plant. It's one of 85 cannabinoids. It's been shown to reduce seizures among kids. Well, uh, legislatures around the country embrace it because it doesn't contain the boogeyman THC, which is THC is one of the 85 cannabinoids that still leaves 83. But here's what he said. He said he was dealing with a 13-year-old who was having 300 
epileptic seizures a week. He started giving her CBD, and the 300 dropped to like 10 a month from 300. Well, that sounds terrific, until you listen to the rest of the story where he said, well, then he added THC, the boogeyman, to the CBD, uh, and the CBD being high in CBD, so now add THC, and the um, seizures among this 13-year-old dropped to just a couple a week. And then guess what? This is him talking, you know, no, not published. But then he said, then he went to whole plant uh, CBD. So, uh, so 85 cannabinoids really high in CBD, but adding the other 84, including THC, and the seizures went away. Yeah. Well, that's anecdotal, but those are the kinds of stories that are out there. And um, I think that once Biden deschedules the marijuana as a class one narcotic, we're going to see a lot more uh, of those kinds of claims being proven. And that's an improvement in our lives because we get to use that as a product. Well, it's anecdotal. It has to be because you can't research it. So it by nature has to be anecdotal. I, I've never smoked marijuana uh, when Biden comes in. And I, I probably will to c- compare that with my drug of choice, which is alcohol. But uh, Gary Johnson, you also did me the honor of endorsing my first book called Why Our Drug Laws Have Failed and What We Can Do About It, A Judicial Indictment of the War on Drugs. And that was back in 2001. Uh, uh, thank you for that. Did you endorse very many books uh, on drug policy or otherwise? Well, once again, we we do what we can do, and Jim, I know you're in the same category. If 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 an author thinks that I'm going to help out uh, endorsing the book, believing that the book in fact is informative and not only informative but might change people's uh, attitudes, uh, hey, I'm on board. So, well. but you're one of those few that actually did it. Uh, we all have those kinds of ideas, putting it, putting it down on paper and making a book out of it. That's a whole nother thing. And congrats to you. Well, cause that's who you are. That. We're going to go to our break. Now you also did me the honor of nominating me for the nomination for president as a libertarian. And, and Gary, thank you for that as well. But we're going to come back and maybe reminisce a little bit about our campaign in 2012. I'm going to ask you the loaded question. Had we won, what would life look like in the United States of America today? <laughs> uh, you can ponder that one a little bit while we hear these messages. Stay tuned. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. We're on Alexa smart speakers and connected devices. Hey, Alexa, play Being Here podcast on Apple Podcasts. Try it now. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. 
the Libertarian Party is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We are Americans You are listening to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Well, welcome back. This is Judge Jim Gray on All Rise with my truly esteemed guest, uh, Governor Gary Johnson from New Mexico, who did me the eternal honor of asking me to run with him, which I jumped at the chance uh, in 2012. So, Gary, before we get to that, though, my wife, Grace, whom you have met, uh, asked me to introduce a little bit of maybe intentional silliness into this show. And usually this is the point that I do it right after the break. Uh, and uh, it, it, I'll tell you in advance that there's an obligatory chuckle that my guest has to do. That's that's part of the deal. But I, I have here in front of me a list of not not yet, Gary. I haven't gotten there, but uh, OK. But Dear Abby has admitted that she was at a loss to answer the following comments. And I'm going to read three of them. Dear Abby, a couple of women moved in across the hall from me. One is a middle-aged gym teacher, and the other is a social worker in her mid-20s. These two women go to everywhere together, and I've never seen a man go into or leave the apartment. Do you think they could be Lebanese? Dear Abby didn't have a thing to say about that one. And then the second one, Dear Abby, what can I do about all the sex, nudity, foul language, and violence on my VCR? Uh, Dear Abby didn't have much of a response for that one either. And then the last one is, Dear Abby, I was married to Bill for three months, and I didn't know he drank until one night he came home sober. I don't know. I don't think Dear Abby would be able to say anything to that one either. So at any rate, that's my that's my obligatory uh, chuckle for the. I can I can hear the people chuckling through the radio waves, though. uh, I'm sure you can as well. But Gary, we we did run for president, vice president. Chuckling over the fact that that it was supposed to be really, really funny. Oh, it was, Jim. (laughs) 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 The, The preamble was funnier than the actual. Okay, enough said. Yeah, there we go. You know, it was probably just as well then, because when we were running in 2012, I almost never saw you. I think I saw you once in Boulder, Colorado. It's the only time I've ever been to the University of Colorado, and they say it's a beautiful place, but it was full of fog, so I still haven't seen it. But the other time was then on election night, we had a celebration in Albuquerque. But uh, we went around the country. We did numbers of things, but but we were a good team. And I, I'm proud, again, to have my name linked to you. But but what were your thoughts about that 2012 election when you ran for president as a libertarian? Well, um, you know, having having been rebuffed by the Republicans and rebuffed, um, look, um, if you're not in the polls uh, that determine who gets in the debates, how can you ever get in the debates? And that's the 
we we found that out on a national level that uh, um, you know the requirement to be in the presidential debates is that you've got to be at fifteen percent in the polls. Well, how do you get to fifteen percent in the polls if you're not in any of the polls that are conducted to determine the fifteen percent? So I kind of went from the frying pan to the fire from the standpoint of, okay, nobody's listening to me as a Republican. I'm going to have a bigger forum here running as a libertarian uh, and, and the chance to change things in this world. But it's a, it's a stacked deck. Uh, and that's, I, think we, I think we really uh, came to grips with that in a way that few people are able to come to grips with, and that is, is that we were... We were victims uh, of a system that is isn't fair. We were on the ballot in all fifty states. Um, hey, there should be a requirement uh, to be in the polls. Maybe the requirement is is if you have a mathematical chance on the ballot in 50, all fifty states to be elected president, maybe you should be included in the polls. And I'll point out that. That we also accomplished that as a party in 2016 and uh, this year with Joe Jorgensen. So the uh, takeaway from that was, uh, wow, it's a, it's a stacked deck. Of course, came back in 2016 to give it another shot, uh, believing that uh, early polls had uh, my name as the potential libertarian nominee and those those polls were really high. Um, after those really high results came in, um, magically the name went away from the polls. I know. Well, you, you say this, and I think stacked deck is the most complimentary way of phrasing it. I call it rigged, and I think it, it simply is. It's rigged by the Republicans and Democrats. We actually here on All Rise, uh, you'll remember that we had a lawsuit that we brought in 2012 against the so-called Commission on Presidential Debates, and Bruce Fine was our attorney. Uh, he was interviewed here on All Rise, actually June 21st of 2019. And if people want to have a reason to be outraged, I think that's it. And if in fact, oh, the, okay, we ran against Romney and Obama, so there's this poll, and it says, are you going to vote for Romney or are you going to vote for Obama? Well, okay, it'd come out 55, 45, whatever. If they would have said, are you going to vote for Johnson or Obama, you would have had 30% response without even half trying. It probably would have been up to 45, 50, or 55. So anytime that we were in the polls, it was vote for Romney, Obama, or Johnson, and then you had to have been in three polls at 15%. It's just rigged. And uh, I, I think that the League of Women Voters, who did have that criterion, Gary, as you know, that if you have a technical chance of winning enough delegates, if you're on the enough ballots in enough states technically to win the presidency, you should have a seat at the table. And that should be the criterion. That's what the League of Women Voters had. And then when they were frozen out by the Republicans and Democrats, they left, and I've said this before several times on All Rise, left with a public comment that we will not be a part of the hoodwinking of America, and we've been hoodwinked ever since. But let me ask, as threatened, before we went well, to and, our break. Uh, I'll just I'll, I'll just point out uh, my my partner Kate was uh, called by a pollster in 2016. Uh, the pollster says, "Who are you going to vote for? Are you going to vote for Trump or are you going to vote for Clinton?" And she said, "I'm going to vote for Gary Johnson." And he said, "Well, that's not an option." <laughs> and she said, "Well, that's who I'm going to vote for." And he said, "Well, I'll just put you down as undecided." Yeah, I know. 
or independent yep. uh, at that yep. It's just, it's just, it is, it's completely rigged and uh, we, we should be outraged. I've had Mr. Democrat here in Orange County, California, tell me privately, Jim, you know, I'm not going to vote for you, but you should be in the election. You should be in the debates. It's just not the American way. But uh, okay. So let's dream then. Had we won in 2012, uh, Governor Gary Johnson becomes president. You would have been the third President Johnson in our country, by the way. That would have been a record. But uh, how would the country look today if we had been in office for four to eight years? How, what do you think, Gary? Well, I, I absolutely believe that we would have done a much better job than uh, than what we've seen. I, I well, that's, that's absolutely praise. Come on. I absolutely believe that, that it would have been about being fiscally conservative, that there would have been a common sense theme to everything, that there would have been total transparency, that it would have been libertarian. Um, look, less government equals more personal freedom uh, and opportunity and uh, higher quality of life, and here's why. And that uh, if we're still in we'd still be in office today because that would be two terms trump wouldn't have even existed but that there would have been a transparency throughout the entire administration um i used to always uh, i used to always be proud of the fact that when we held a press conference in new mexico i was always the last one there you know what you're giving up you're not going to ask any more questions because you know the, the the answers were to questions that uh really made sense. And uh, if I didn't know the answer, I didn't make up an answer. And, and, and so was, truth, right. I think, goes a long way. And we would have been very truthful and transparent and uh, uniting um, uh, as, as leaders. Our country would be unified today, I believe. Oh, we'd have differences of opinion, of course, but I think that that is the answer that we would have been able to give, Gary, that we would have been open, we would have been inclusive, we would have audited the federal government saying, what are we doing that's working? What are we doing that's not working? What are we doing that's duplicated? Hey, let's get out of this. Let's let's allow the taxpayer to spend their own a lot of their own money instead of us spending their, their money as well. Uh, the wars, you know, we would... I said in my nomination attempts that uh, I would be the first president of the United States, you would have been, but I would be the first president of the United States to give back power to Congress. I would require a declaration of war before we allowed our troops to stay in a battle zone for more than 60 days. Uh, and that's revolutionary. Get, abolish these War Powers Acts. It's, we would take our, what is our, what are our troops' goals today in Afghanistan? We've been there for, what, 19 years? Why are we still there? What are our goals? We don't even know, but we would have in a Johnson-Gray administration. Actually, we would have shown that there were no goals, logical goals, and, and pulled them out. So I think that openness, inclusiveness, and, uh, and auditing would have been a hallmark that would have been a lot different United States of America today. Uh, and uh, you get into health care. Gary, you've seen... I've asked this question numbers of times here on this show, but have you ever seen the time in which the federal government has interfered in the marketplace, gone into the marketplace where the prices did not go up and the quality of goods and services go down, such as health care? Would, would you have had our federal government involved in the health care industry, President Gary Johnson? Well, no. And, you know, you, you pointed out a couple of things that ironically uh, – Trump has done really well on the foreign policy front, I think. We haven't 
we haven't furthered our involvement uh, anywhere. We've extricated ourselves from a number of potential conflicts. Um, I just wish the transparency from Trump would have gone along with actions. The the Syrian crisis at the time that, uh, because of Trump's actions, uh, resulted in alliances that uh, by our enemy, our enemies, uh, and our uh, and our allies uh, became allied after Trump. Uh, Yes. Uh, said we're getting out of Syria. I mean, unintended consequences. The world is a, I, it appears to be a safer place because of Trump. But hey, no. Uh, where where's the communication? Where's the transparency? And then you know the coronavirus. Oh my gosh. Uh, you know one thing that uh, the Trump administration did, which we really didn't hear much detail about. But it was there, and that was how much money the the federal government put into private pharmaceutical companies to develop vaccines, which is really uh, a smart way to address this problem, because ultimately that's what's going to get us out of the coronavirus um, uh, pandemic is, is a vaccine. Once again, I, I just wish there would have been dialogue and transparency and and a coming together of here's our national strategy and here's what we're going to do. And I, I think a national strategy uh, as a libertarian uh, could, very, you know, could very well include, hey, you got to wear masks, you got to socially distance, because if you don't, um, you're going to put other people in harm's way. And look, we're all about not doing any harm, and that's really uh, the baseline credo of being a libertarian. If I have the coronavirus and I cough, it's an assault upon you. It's a crime. And I think the government has an ability to keep that crime from occurring. But let me go back a little bit, because I agree with you that I think Trump has done numbers of really good things. He's, he hasn't publicized it particularly. Transparency has not been anywhere in their lexicon. But even with our relations with China, you know, China cheats. China has done wonderful things. They they brought what millions and billions of people out of poverty, but they cheat. You know, they steal technology. They they cheat with regard to this. And I think the world community should get together and publicize this so that people would not buy Chinese products unless they started joining the world community and stop that cheating. But he didn't do this. He unilaterally put these tariffs on China and did all of this. And then of course we're we're penalizing the corn farmers because now we can't export corn to China. So now he gives government money as a subsidy to corn farmers, but not to wheat farmers. I mean, it's it's all arbitrary. But had he been transparent like Governor Gary Johnson, President Gary Johnson would have been, again, that would have been such a huge difference. The world would be a better place. Well, and that, that also includes just accepting input. Um, <laughs> certainly, you know, you know, one of the real joys of having been governor was to have the best and brightest at the table giving their input on whatever it is that they're giving their input on because I got them sitting there at the table. Well, that just doesn't appear to to be a function within the Trump administration at all because bright people don't seem to be able to uh, express their opinions. And again, that's that's how we move forward is, you know, listen to the best and brightest uh, 
and then be listen very to transparent. Him. Make your decision, and let's move forward. Yes, but well, he communication would... to the degree of here's why we're doing what we're doing has just not not been the case in this country for four years. No, and and we're so polarized and so divided, and and literally, you know, if I disagree with you, that means that you're evil. I mean, that sort of thing. Uh, I mentioned this in our last segment. I'll mention it again. It was a quote from Thomas Jefferson, who, after a really divisive 1800s election, said, I've never considered a difference of opinion in politics, in religion, in philosophy as a cause for withdrawing from a friend. My father is a hero of mine. So are you, by the way, Gary. And candidly, I don't have a lot of heroes. But my father said, you have every right to be dis to disagree. You have no right at all to be disagreeable. And I think that if we just carry that sort of thing forward, that's what the President Gary Johnson administration would have done. You would have listened, you would have explained, you would have made decisions, and uh, we would have just been a much stronger, stronger government, stronger country, stronger world. Well, and that's, uh, I, I do believe that, and I believe that based on, you know, having served as governor for eight years, uh, that was the formula that worked, and it's just had a it had a basis in uh, in truth and by the way i think i think fully half of everything that any of us say turns out to be wrong in some <laughs> aspect when i find that out personally i'm just oh my gosh i've been say i, I i've been believing something wrong or i've misunderstood or uh, here's what i've said when in fact the opposite is true i i just want to call everybody that I've ever said that to and, and, sure. and correct myself uh, with, with them. Uh, once again, that, that is just not the case today. I think, I think Gary, you're more 70-30 correct, but, but one way or the other, I, now that you mentioned that... You're 70-30 exactly... correct, I'm 30-70, so we, no, no, we turn out, uh, we turn out at about 50-50. Can't get away with that, but, but now that you mentioned that, it's what I have done in my arbitrations where at the end of the evidence, I will take a recess, literally, and I tell the people in advance that this is what I will do, then I'll come back and give you a tentative opinion. Okay, this is where I sit tentatively, even credibility of witnesses. If one side's going to prevail, I say why and how much, and now take your best shot at it. If I'm wrong, show me where. And I, as I say, you, you won't put it this way, but hey, you ninny, what about Exhibit Q? Well, then I'll look at Exhibit Q, or what about this? You know, I want to get it right. And then that's where you are. You put this thing out there. You say, this is what I believe. Tell me, and I'll listen. And that's what's been so missing in the administration today or for the last four years. You, he wants yes men. And if you don't agree with him, he moves you on. He, he fires you, which is a terribly destructive thing to do. So I, well, I, think I, I don't it, know. I don't know how often you point this out on your show, but I do know that you do arbitration. And I can't think of anybody better to arbitrate whatever it is I've got a claim for or against uh, someone else. I can't think of a better person to be arbitrating it than you. But as you point out, that I, I think that's a life process. Isn't that how we should live our lives is... Look, we, we want to get along. Uh, we want to reach agreement. We want the agreement to be fair and equal. And uh, um, anyway, I, I relish that role uh, as
as arbiter in chief uh, as governor, and I know you're doing that for a living uh, post uh, being superior court judge in California. But uh, anyway, well, thank my you, two thank you for the, thank you for that comment. Please don't talk to my wife; she might have a different opinion. But, but, but thank you for that. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> and a little bit off the subject, Gary. But if I were to put in a constitutional amendment today, see if you would agree with this. I would have no one in that uh, the we would have nine constitutional, excuse me, nine members of the Supreme Court. Let's put that in so we don't get into vote backing. And they would have a term limit, let's say, of an additional of 15 years on the Supreme Court. And that way you wouldn't have anybody appointing somebody at the age of 40, for example. Why would you want to do that? Well, because you want your legacy to go on for 30 years or 40 years. No, I, I don't think, like you were saying, no one who has lived only 40 years on this planet has enough experience, enough sophistication to be on the United States Supreme Court. And if we had that gray amendment to the Constitution, you'd probably be nominated when you're maybe middle 50s, something like that. Because uh, I just think that we need to get politics out of the court, and this amendment would do it, and also then allow for a progression instead of having some justices stay on forever because they don't want the current president to nominate their successor. Would you vote for the gray amendment to the Constitution, Gary? I don't know. I'd have to. I'd have to get. I'd have to get some. Uh, you know, back to back to a process. Um, if, if I could change the Constitution, I would repeal the Seventeenth Amendment, which allows for the direct election of U.S. senators. Prior to that amendment, uh, U.S. senators were appointed by state legislatures. Do you think we'd have a deficit today? Uh, if uh, senators were appointed by state legislatures, do you think we would have fully, any states' rights issues uh, if senators were appointed by their state legislatures? They, um, they, the idea from the from the delegates to the to our founders was that you would have people that had been around. They were they were diplomatic. They they done well, worked well with people in their state legislatures, and then they would be in the United States Senate. I thought that was a brilliant idea, just like, candidly, the Electoral College is now under a lot of fire. No, keep that, because if you were to do away with the Electoral College and just make it a total vote population, all of the presidential candidates would go to the big states, you know, Texas and California. They'd never go to Delaware. They'd never go to North Dakota, South Dakota, Alaska. You'd be simply discounting those do you know? Do you know? In, interestingly, Jim, I signed on uh, to do away with the electoral college uh, from the standpoint that I, or or at, at least open to the discussion that you're you're pointing out that uh, presidential candidates would never go to North Dakota or South Dakota uh, because um, you know um, have the votes. Because they don't have the votes. Actually, it's probably the opposite. They don't. You, Trump doesn't go to Utah or Idaho or um, any of the red states uh, at all. So, if you did away with the electoral college, you, potentially you'd have to pay attention to more voters. I mean, yes, you'd have to. He doesn't go to California. Uh, but if the Electoral College was um, eliminated, he would go to California because there's a lot of votes there, even a from a comment. secondary standpoint. That, I mean, that, that's, that's the other side comment. of the coin. 
I'll, I'll ask you to rethink your position and I will rethink mine because those are valid, valid comments. So I guess well, I don't have all the I, answers. And I'm not Dog saying I'm it. not 100% backer of the, uh, of the Gray Amendments, but um, w once again, this is, you know, talking about the Electoral College, <laughs> we, we think about it exactly the way that you stated it. Uh, which is which is what we've been said, which is, uh, look, uh, presidential politics would never touch uh, North or, or North Dakota gets attention because of the Electoral College. Uh-uh. No, they don't get any attention because they're already in the bag. And the, a populist state like New York or California they don't get any attention whatsoever because they're in the bag. Well, do away with the Electoral College and every vote becomes important. Every vote counts. Doggone it, Gary. You've taken me down from 70-30 just by this last five minutes. No, no, no. I won't put this in the 50-50, we're <laughs> wrong, right? It, it's... But it's one of those discussion items that, uh, hey, these discussion items are out there regarding a lot of different topics. And wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be good Healthy. to have a president that was engaged in these discussions Healthy. and debates? Uh, I think it would be. Gary Johnson, you remain my hero, and I'm proud to be, know you. Proud to be your, your friend. Proud that you endorsed my book. Proud that I was your running mate. We just have maybe a minute left, but you are one of the most competitive people I know. You're, you're skiing competitively. That bicycle race, they called it off, I guess, from Canada to Mexico. But are you going to be involved in that race next year? That's my plan. This was going to be the fourth year in a row that I was going to do the Continental Divide mountain bike race, which is a which is a mountain bike race from Banff, Canada to Antelope Wells, New Mexico, uh, 2,800 miles, uh, and you got to be self-supported. Uh, definition of self-supported, you can buy anything along the way as long as whatever you're buying is available to everybody. So if I call you because I break down, that's cheating if I call a bike shop that does mobile repair to come out and pick me up in the boondocks and they do it for everybody, I'm good to do that. But well, it's been a life changer for me. Uh, 34 days year one, 27 days year two, ah. 27 days year three. And this year I was hoping to do it in 22 days, uh, having had a mechanical in year three. But it's it's been fun and, you know, that's, that's life. We should uh, we we should as do the I, things that say, make us Harry, happy and improve. You're a wonderful our lives. man. You're a competitor. You've climbed the tallest peaks in all seven continents. This is an amazing man. He's a leader in our country, uh, and I, I'm just proud that he was our guest here on All Rise. Join us again next week. We only have couple of more sessions actually by the 17th of December that will be the last one but you can always go back voiceamerica.com slash show slash 3883 and hear all of these including Governor Gary Johnson on demand in the future so this is Judge Jim Gray thank you for being with us thanks to my wonderful guest my friend Gary Johnson and as I always do when I sign off I say and I mean it life is good
Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Strengthen by bonds that help us control. We are Americans' bonds. Strengthen by bonds that help us control.